Colossians 4, it's on page 1184. Let's read from verse 2 to verse 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. We come, each of us comes to church in different, obviously in different circumstances. And we approach this from different perspectives. For example, there are probably some people here who are not yet Christians. We're going to talk about prayer, and your inclination may be to think, well, what's the point in me praying? Well, I I hope that you'll see as we go on that you become a Christian through prayer. It also may be that there are some people here who are Christians, or uh, you're in the situation where you're beginning to have your doubts, doubting the goodness of God, doubting whether God will hear you, doubting sometimes even if God is there. I was listening uh, to a sermon as I was walking down to church this morning where the preacher was talking about how doubt is normal for most Christians, in fact, for every Christian. And what he said interestingly was that doubt is not primarily intellectual, though it involves the intellectual. Doubt tends to come because of experience. He was preaching on Psalm 73 where the psalmist observes certain things and experiences certain things and sees certain things. And doubt is something that you feel. And he was uh, pointing out, and I think this is very true, that when you begin to doubt, when you have questions like that, what a lot of people do is they back off. They say, I'm not going to church, I'm not going to pray and so on until I get it all sorted out. But the trouble is because doubt is not primarily or just an intellectual thing, because it's something that you experience, then so recovery from doubt and faith is something also that you experience. And prayer actually is also for people who are doubting. If you read through the book of uh, Psalms, you will come across several Psalms, including the Psalm that Jesus prayed on the cross, which could be taken as expressions of doubt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's questioning the providence and the goodness of God. And it's very distressing for me when you, you, to, to hear Christians say, oh, I'm not getting on so well, so I'm not going to pray, or I'm not going to come to church. That's exactly the time that you come. And it may be that there are those of us who are Christians, and right now, we're not doubting. We're fairly certain about most things. And we're getting on with our lives, and we're getting on, we hope, with serving God. But to be honest, our prayers are shallow, superficial if they exist at all. So when Paul comes and says here, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, it's something which we need to take heed of. We read in Romans 5, verses 1 to 2, that we have access to God. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And having access to God is just so wonderful. It's like you need, let's say there's someone really important and you want access to them. But to get to them, you have to go through their secretary or whatever. Um, I, this is a, a long time ago and I've since repented of my sin. But at the time I was a Rangers fan and uh, I was really upset about something. And I wanted to speak to the manager. The manager was a man called John Gregg. So I was a 
had a bit of a brass neck. I turned up at Ibrox, um, uh, and I didn't get in because I came in jeans and a ranger's top. So I, I thought, no, I went back and I changed into a suit. And you're not going to believe this. I got in because I had a suit on. And I walked past the door, and I walked past the doorman, and they said, who are you here for? I said, I'm to see Mr. Gregg. So the next, the secretary, who are you here for? I'm to see Mr. Gregg. I kept going. They all assumed that I had an appointment. I never told them I had an appointment. I didn't lie. I was a free church minister at the time. Uh, and I turned up at the door, uh, got into his personal secretary. You know, and I, I'm inner sanctum. I'm right there, in the, past the trophy room, past everything. And the secretary says, um, I'm sorry, I, I don't have you in the diary. I said, no, no, I never said I was in the diary. I've just come to see Mr. Gregg. And she said, well, I'm sorry you can't get in. And then this rather gruff voice shouted, let him in. And so I got in and had a conversation uh, with Mr. Gregg. Now, uh, that would never happen again because our conversation was somewhat of an argument. I basically complained that it took a suit to get in um, and that the ordinary fans were being messed around. And uh, he had a go at me saying, stood up and he's a big tall guy. So we had an interesting conversation. But the point about that was just simply this, that there are people who could walk right in no, uh, I was an anomaly. But there are people who have access in if you, in you, into the sort of heart of things. There's someone who can phone up um, Barack Obama. I mean, I'd like to talk to Barack Obama. I'm not going to get anywhere near him. There's someone who can phone up Barack Obama who's direct access to him. Actually, his family have direct access to him. Imagine that I read a, a bit, uh, amongst all the other stuff about the American elections, I read about these kids. Their dad says they're still going to have sleepovers. Imagine having a sleepover at the White House. That'd be quite cool if you're their friends. But they have access. Now with us, we have access not to a, a, a top sportsman, not to the President of the United States or the Prime Minister of Great Britain, but we have access to God through prayer. And yet, we, we, I, I think we take so little uh, use of that. Bishop J.C. Ryle last century said this, the great majority of professing Christians do not pray at all. The great majority of professing Christians do not pray at all. I think a prayerless church is one that struggles. When Donald was praying, he was quite right. Our, our, we need to look at where we're at spiritually in terms of praying and and. and our dependence upon God. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this. And as I say, it's for people who are not yet Christians to think about prayer. It's for those who are struggling with doubt. It's for those of us who are in uh, perhaps a different situation. Let's look first of all then at this phrase, we are to be devoted to prayer. Now this is very important because it's, what's important for us to realize is prayer does not just happen. Human weakness and lethargy get in the way. We are to set time aside. We are to fence time. We are to commit ourselves to it. Go across into verse 12, and you'll see an example of that. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. He's wrestling in prayer. It's not an easy thing to pray. I don't know if you've ever come across anyone who says, oh, I find prayer remarkably easy. Uh, I, I personally do not know any Christian in 
that situation. But I know plenty of Christians who think it should be easy and that because it's not easy, it must be their fault and therefore there's no point in them praying. What people don't realize is just how much of a struggle prayer can so often be. The word that Paul uses here for devoted is a word that was usually used for a boat that was set ready to sail. It was always at the docks, always ready to sail, always ready to go. And he's, what he's saying is here in terms of the Christian, the Christian is to be somebody who's always ready to pray. I think that is, has to be true of all believers, but of course uh, it is especially true of those who are leaders in the church. Acts 6 verse 4, speaking about the elders, it says, <coughs> or it's rather it's the elders who are saying, we will turn the responsibility of looking after widows and so on over to the deacons, and we will give ourselves our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. We will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. I think for those of us who are elders, and I include myself in this, there is a, a gentle rebuke from the Lord saying, well, what did you, when did you pray? When did you last pray about these things? When did you last pray for the people in the church who are under uh, your watch? So we have a commitment to pray, and every, I think every believer has a commitment to pray. Luke 18, <coughs> verse 1 Jesus told his, parable, his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Devoted to prayer. If we, um, when we were talking about redoing the building, I know they were being facetious, but uh, some of the committee who met with the architects said, you know, it would be a great idea if we did it like the X Factor. And we had three crosses up above you. And then when the congregation had enough, three X's would mean you'd have to stop. Uh, I was thinking of it the other way around. I was thinking if you all had a wee uh, electronic thing there and I could ask you to vote on things. And right now, I could ask you to press a button. Are you devoted to prayer? And the percentages would flash up above us. I wonder how, what the percentage would be if we did that. If we were honest. We say that we are devoted to prayer. Prayer is just a... It's something we know we ought to do, and it's something we feel guilty about, and it's something that, okay, it's, it's there, but it's not really a priority for us, either individually or collectively. I personally, I've, I've said this before, and I'll, but I'll say it again. I remember my first real lesson in this was the student fellowship in Edinburgh when I was at university there, that we held a barbecue one Friday night, and 100 people turned up. We held a barbecue the next Friday, uh, not a barbecue, we held, we held a prayer meeting the next Friday night and eight people turned up. So a hundred people could find time to come for a barbecue, eight Christians could find time to come to pray. And I think that um, when we, we, we really do need to assess what we're doing. Luther's saying if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. That is true. And I, I think as a fellowship we need to think about this a whole lot more. You know, I, this is not an attempt to get more people to come to meetings. But when there's the student prayer breakfast fortnightly, I mean, we're not just bribing students to come and get a bacon sandwich. The key is with that aspect is prayer. When we have the prayer meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning, okay, you may say, well, it's not a good time for me. I pray at other times. Good. When? 
when do you pray at other times? And when do you meet with other people? It's, it, it's so hugely important. And I'm including absolutely myself in this. It's, it, it, it is, I think, disgraceful how little I'm involved in real prayer. And not honoring to God at all. So we need to be devoted to prayer. Secondly, he says you've got to be watchful. And the word he uses for watchful is that of guard duty. Keep your eyes open. He's writing to the Colossians. He's saying, look, there's false teachers coming around. Stay awake. That's what the command is. You stay awake. The Greek word, and this is just a complete aside almost, but I found it fascinating. If there's anyone here called Gregory, this is where your name comes from. Gregory didn't exist as a name until the New Testament church came along. And they used this term, Gregorio, to stay awake for prayer. And eventually, the church developed it as a proper name. It was never a proper name. And that's how you got the term Gregory. Gregory meaning one who is awake. Well, we have to be Christians who are awake. And the suggestion is that if we are not praying, then we are not awake. We're like when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked the disciples to stay awake, to watch, and to pray in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4. Let me read this, page 1188 if you want to read it uh, with me. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 4. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Watch and pray, says Jesus, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the body is weak. You see, there's an incredible lethargy that exists in the Christian church. We just get on with things. We just go through life. And spiritually, although we are Christians, although we are alive, although we are breathing spiritually, and every now and then we get a wee prod that wakes us up, perhaps on a Sunday, But sometimes we become even immune to that. In reality, it's as though we've taken this spiritual sleeping pill and we do not stay awake. We can't be bothered. There's a coldness and a listlessness in our our lives. Um, This evening, I hope you will come this evening, but this evening we're we're just going to look at the most basic and fundamental principle of Christian living, which is glorifying and enjoying God. And I would suggest this. I would suggest the reason that we do not enjoy is because we're asleep. Um, You can sleep through a really good film. You can sleep through uh, uh, a really nice meal that someone has made, but you're, you're just asleep. You can't be bothered. And I want to suggest that over the whole church in Britain at this moment in time, there's kind of like this soporific effect that has occurred. And I, I, I fear that it may be the same for ourselves. 
So we are, we are being told, it's wake up, stay awake, be watchful, pray. You see, we have all kinds of ideas. We've got pastoral problems here. We've got issues here. We've got evangelism to do there. We've got financial things here. We've got people who are sick there. And you can't deal with it all and cope with it all. But what you can do is pray for it all and be watchful. That's why the elders were given that responsibility. And that's why all Christians are to be involved at that level. Now, as well as watchful, he says thankful. Because the danger is, you see, devoted to prayer, stay awake, there's lots of enemies and so on. The danger is that you become very fearful and full of trepidation. Uh, Without mentioning anything of the politics of it, Barack Obama, as you may or may not have noticed, was elected president of the United States. It was so funny because I was in Holland this week. uh, Nearly all the Americans were at the conference. I was, was saying, oh. God help poor America, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And two Dutch guys stood up from Amsterdam to speak, and they said, it's a day of new hope. It's a day of new beginning. Isn't this wonderful? And I was going, oh, no. <laughs> you have no idea what you're just saying. Um, and it was just so funny, that just different reactions, different perspectives that people had on it. But I just think of how many emails I've got this week from friends in the United States who are saying, pray for our poor nation. It's almost like it's the end of the world. Because, uh, uh, you know, Obama's meant to be very liberal and so on. Now, leaving aside all of that, even if that were true, and there's one email I got sent which was just absolutely absurd, which had Obama as basically the new Hitler, which was just pathetic. Um, But even if that were true, the Christian is not to be somebody who's fearful and full of trepidation. The Christian is not someone who's walking around with fear that we might lose. Paul's not saying, look, you need to pray because if you don't pray, this could all fall apart. Or you need to pray because we're in danger of losing. He's saying you pray because you are utterly dependent upon a God who provides. You're thankful in prayer. In other words, prayer isn't just when you're desperate. Prayer isn't just when you've tried everything else. Prayer isn't just when you've been nagged into doing prayer. Prayer isn't when you're at the end of your tether. Prayer is something that goes on all the time, and it's accompanied with thankfulness. Dick Lucas says, prayer can no more exist without praise than true praise without prayer. The one fuels the other. Because you see, here's part of our problem. Some of us who do pray, when we're praying is, we're worse than we bairns. It's always, gimme, 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 gimme. Because we've forgotten to be thankful to God. And it's all prayers like a duty, and prayers like a slot machine, and prayers like something that we do religiously, and God will bless us. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is coming. Yes, it's being watchful. Yes, it's being devoted to it. Yes, it requires effort. But it's coming with thankfulness for what God has granted and who God is and what is going on. And the irony is, if you don't pray, you won't be thankful because you just won't see, you won't grasp it, you won't get it. So Paul says, this is what we are to do. We're to be devoted to prayer. Now, what do we pray for? It's very interesting how he then applies this in one particular situation. In other situations, he says that we're to pray for governments. 
We pray about social issues and concerns. We pray for people to become Christians. But in this situation, he turns things a little bit on their heads. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 9. And this is Paul and Timothy saying to the Colossians, for chapter 1 verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, may please him in every way, bearing fruit and every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, and so on. So Paul began the letter by saying, we pray for you. He now turns it round, and he says, I want you to pray for us. I want you to pray particularly for me. I am, uh, what does it say? Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ which we in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now what's amazing, we just skip over that bit, but think about what he's asking. If you can, put yourself in Paul's shoes. First of all, you're in prison. Secondly, you're in danger of using, losing your life. Thirdly, you have enormous problems with people in the church. There are people in the church who have betrayed you. There are people in the church who are slipping away. Fourthly, you have the Colossian situation where false teachers are coming in. There is so much to be depressed about. So much to ask for help for. Now, if you were Paul and if I was Paul, I'd be saying, please pray that I'd be released from this prison. Pray that I would be protected. Pray that the church would be united and so on. And none of these prayers would be wrong, but that's not what he asked for. He says, pray that I would get opportunities to spread the gospel. What you pray for reflects where your heart is. Now, we need to say something about this because we are very, I hope, we are very, very concerned about communicating the gospel. And here we are being given an enormous clue to something that I think the rest of the scriptures teach. And that is simply this, that intercessory prayer is the best way to spread the gospel. That effective evangelism begins with intercessory prayer. Yes, you need teaching. Yes, you need to go out and tell people. Yes, you need to share with people. Yes, you need to do good works and so on. But prayer is the foundation of it all. Why? Well, he asks for an open door. Why does he ask for an open door? Because there's real opposition from Satan. Because Satan has bolted the door. Satan has blocked the door. The the Colossians were well conscious of that. We face a very real enemy. At the conference I was at this week, uh, one man was, I think, not over happy at the particular emphasis that I gave my own talk. And he basically asked, what would I do if I was the devil? Now, I wasn't too sure if he was suggesting there might be some possibility of that. But um, I, I said to him, you know, if I was the devil, he was asking, what would I do about the church? And I said, if I was the devil, I'd leave the church alone in Western Europe. I wouldn't go near the church with a barge pole because the church is doing a good job of destroying itself. It doesn't need the devil to come and help us with that. When the church is ineffective and self-destructive, the devil doesn't come near us. He doesn't need to. 
But if the church begins to be effective, watch out. When the church is not communicating the gospel, when the church is not trying to communicate the gospel, when the church is inward looking and self-obsessed and self-absorbed, the devil's not bothered. Why should he? When the church is asleep, you don't bother with the soldiers that are asleep. You bother with the ones that are awake. You bother with the ones that are fighting. You bother with the ones that are, are determined to communicate and to share the gospel. And Paul prays for an open door because he knows that many, many doors are closed. Let me put this another way. Why don't people believe the Christian gospel? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and you'll see the reason that's given there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. This is the reason people don't believe. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, it's on page 1160. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Why don't people believe? Why don't people see? It's not because you're not holding it in front of them. It's because they're blind. It's because there's a spiritual deadness. It's because we're doing what Ezekiel was told to do, is to go to the bones and to speak to the bones that are dead. There's not a spark of life in there that you've just got to connect with. There's not some other way that you've just got to get round and deal with it. The fact is, there is a spiritual deadness. And the only way that people will even see the kingdom of God is if they are born from above, born again by God's Holy Spirit. And that doesn't happen through cleverness of expression. It doesn't happen through argumentation. It doesn't happen through social work. It doesn't happen through mass worship or whatever. It happens through the Holy Spirit working in someone's life, opening the door. And Paul says, I want you to pray that that door will be opened. The door is open for the word. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, a great door for effective work has been opened to me. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 12, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found the Lord had opened a door for me. Or turn uh, into Acts, Acts chapter 14. Let's just look at a couple of verses in Acts, which again give you how important this is and how crucial this is in our evangelism. Acts 14 verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. The door of faith was opened. God opened that door. Acts 16 and verse 14. When Paul was speaking to the group of women who met to pray at uh, the, the river in Philippi. And verse 14, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. God opens the door. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that people need to be born from above. People need to be born again. We believe in the power of God's word. And we pray that the door would be opened. So that's why it's so important to pray for the ministry of the word. And that's why I don't feel at all embarrassed about asking you to pray for me. 
Uh, I have been given many, many opportunities to proclaim the gospel over these past 18 months, and they, they keep coming in. Now, there's a tendency, we might think, well, don't do so much, and so on, and, and, and you can kind of understand that. But when a door is open, you walk through it. I mean, there are, and, and I think we should be praying for things like when we had the medical debate, how important that was that people who were there who wouldn't hear the gospel, perhaps otherwise, this coming week, tomorrow at the CU lunch bar, pray for that. It doesn't matter how good the food is. It doesn't matter how good the singing is. It doesn't matter how good the communication of the word is if the door is not open. It needs to be opened. And we need to pray that God would open the door. I'm in Edinburgh Art College on Tuesday. Pray that God would open the door. Next Sunday morning, I'll be in St. Catherine's Argyle. David Ellis will be preaching here. Pray that God would open the door. The people come into the church and or they come into whatever meeting and that's great but the door to their mind the door to the heart needs to be opened i think it's wonderful that god is giving us so many opportunities to communicate and to share the word and it's not about one person who does particular has a particular gift maybe in terms of speaking but it's about all of us seeking to communicate the gospel And the glory comes to God because it is only God who opens doors. But we pray. And Paul says, please pray that although I'm here in prison, a door would be opened to me to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Because again, that's the crucial thing. It's to announce Christ. Back in uh, uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 19 he said exactly the same thing pray also for me that whenever i open my mouth words may be given me so that i will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel how can we know god how can we know what god wants well we know god in christ but none of us are back in first century palestine that's no use to us we know god in history that's true but a lot of us aren't historians We know God in Scripture, but many people don't read the Scripture. That's why Christ has to be proclaimed. There are people who come to the Bible and they say, I I don't get this, I don't understand this. And that's the beauty of proclamation, and that's why preaching is so central. I know know that there are many people who say, ah, yeah, you're going to say that because that's your job. And sadly, in the Christian church, there are far too many people who think, well, if we do this, and if we do this, and if we do this, and if we do this, then people will come to believe. No, they won't. It's through the foolishness of preaching. Preaching was dumb in the first century. And in one sense, it's dumb now. Who's going to listen? God opens the door. God opens the door. And and suddenly these words from this book that are being explained, they come alive. The mystery of Christ. Christian preaching is part of the process of revelation. And in that sense, pray that every sermoner should be an eye-opener. Every sermoner should be a heart-opener. Every sermon that you hear should be something you just go, Wow, I didn't see that, and now I see. Acts 26, 18, Paul says, To open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified in me. The mystery of Christ. Jesus Christ is a mystery. The gospel is a mystery. The gospel doesn't make sense. The gospel is offensive. And we need it taught. And we need it explained. And we need it proclaimed. 
And we need, that's why it's just so important that you pray for everyone who's involved in doing that. And you see, it has to be clear that I may clearly, he says, may clearly proclaim. Because you can have a good message proclaimed in a bad way. That happens a lot. It's my nightmare, personally. A good message proclaimed in a bad way. It needs to be preached clearly, boldly, graciously, wisely, with passion and with power. And it brings fruit, like Epaphras back in chapter 1 and verse 5, where he says, The faith and love that spring from the hope that's stored up from you in heaven, that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. You learned it. You learned it. It was clear proclamation. That's why, you see, we devote ourselves to prayer that we are watchful and thankful. And the words of Second Thessalonians 3 verse 1, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. You know, sometimes, I'll let you into a wee confession. Sometimes you, uh, the greatest part for me of what I do is studying the Bible and looking at the Bible and being thrilled by what the Bible says. But sometimes you, it's not looking at the Bible and it's not looking at the Lord. It's when you look away from the Lord and you look to the congregation. And I don't mean to be offensive to anybody. But sometimes you just think, why bother? They're not going to listen. You know, people aren't bothered. Why bother? Why bother? People, you know how spiritually dead people are. And you know within your own self how spiritually asleep you can become and and. And you become cynical as you get older. And you become weary and you become tired and you want to give up. But then something happens that changes everything. Despite all the opposition, despite all the shut doors, God opens doors. And you see it and that's why you, would, you continue to proclaim and to teach the word. Because God is opening doors. Because people who were stubborn and obstinate and full of bitterness and cynicism. God opens a door into their life. And, and they begin to get the word. And they begin to grasp it. And you can see it changing them. And it's the same with people who, who don't know. Who don't understand. And then a door opens. And sometimes it's like a light going on in their, in, in their heads. And other times it's much more gradual and you know this is a wonderful wonderful thing people say oh if only God would speak if only God would tell us if only God would come amongst us I would believe Jesus if he was here right now but he is here right now and he is speaking and he is telling us and the word of the Lord should it needs to be spread and communicated and spread and communicated for those of you who get the daily telegraph you may have read it on Uh, Thursday, there was an article there on the Free Church, and um, they phoned me up when I was in Holland, and the journalist said, okay, I don't, we were talking about how the church is largely declining in the rural areas, and has been growing in the urban areas, and I, I didn't just talk about the Free Church, but some other churches as well, and the journalist said, I don't get it. 
why would young people come to church? Why would people in an urban area come to church? Maybe I could understand it in the rural area where there's nothing else to do. But in a city, why would they come to church? And why would the young come? And I said to him, you know, the only answer I've got is that it's the word of God and it's the word of life and people want to hear God talking to them. That whole concept was completely alien to him. And we we had uh, an interesting conversation. Well, I believe that that is what we are about. And the part of that is it's not, you know, the sad thing is in the Christian church, we set certain people up on a, a, a... as almost as kind of idols. Oh, we heard them speak and they were so wonderful and we heard that person speak and they were so great. Unless God was opening doors, that doesn't matter. And that's why it's so vital and it's so essential that we pray. So let me just come back where we came in. If we are Christians, can I urge you please to pray, pray for God's word to to run free in our lives. Pray for, for all of us. Pray especially for those who are preaching uh, and being able to communicate God's word. If you are the Christian who's doubting and struggling, pray. Just pray that the Lord would, would speak to you through his word and be open to receive that word. Don't think that just because you've doubted or you've got fears that somehow you are unique or that's the end of all things. In fact... Uh, As I heard this morning, doubt your doubts. What makes you so sure about your doubts? Doubt them and look to the Lord. And if you're not a Christian, how do you become a Christian? Simplest way is to pray, is to ask God to reveal himself to you and to work in your life. May the Lord open each of our eyes. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that... You give us so many things, and yet in one way you make life so much easier for us and so simpler that you call us to pray to you. Lord, we have so many needs. We are burdened by so many things. We are frustrated. We get angry. We, we get upset at ourselves and at other people. We wonder what's happening. We are full of fear and trepidation. Help us to come to you as our Father, as our Lord, as our Savior, as our sustainer, as our comforter, as our provider. To come to you in prayer precisely because we are utterly and totally 100% dependent on you. We do not come with our own righteousness. We do not come bargaining. We come, O Lord, being watchful and being thankful. We bless you for all that you have granted to us. Make us into a people of prayer. Lord, we do confess just how pathetic and pitiful our prayers are. And we know, Lord, that it's not the quantity nor even the eloquence of our prayers that matter. It is just simply the desire to come and to to pour out our hearts to you and to worship you and to praise you. Pray, O God, that we would not be crippled by our guilt in this matter, that we would not be those who think, oh, well, we don't do it and we'll just feel miserable about not doing it. But Lord, help us to be doers as well as hearers of the word. Make us into a people of prayer. Work a mighty, mighty work amongst each one of us. And Lord, if uh, any one of us here do not know you, 
we pray that you would work in our lives, that we would know you. We pray, O oh Lord, that your word would run free, that uh, this evening, that uh, tomorrow at the, the lunch bar, that the Edinburgh Art College, and wherever anyone is proclaiming your word, that it would bring light and life to all who hear and to all who listen. May your blessing be upon your word in your name. Amen.